our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The thing that, for me, separates a religion to a cult, and I've heard other Jehovah's Witnesses say this, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, is what happens when you leave. If you leave those sort of religions, no one really cares. And then you have a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses, where if you doubt, you are blacklisted, you are ostracised, you are labelled bad association, your family won't eat with you, people will limit how much time they spend with you, they will never talk to you again. Hello, everyone. So the good news, I said that like there's going to be some bad news. There isn't. There's no bad news for for anyone ever. Right. The good news is um, I've put some effort in to upgrade this podcast, take it to the next level. Whenever I've been interviewing British interviewees, I've been trying to do them in a studio in London. So I spent Sunday interviewing three different people over a period of uh, four or five hours. Uh, It was intense. Things were intense and also wonderful and interesting. And I interviewed today's guest, that's Harrison Cother, a former Jehovah's Witness, but also former Scientologist Alex Barnes-Ross and someone else who I will get into when it it comes out. Because you don't need to know everything. You don't have to know every little bit. Anyway, Harrison Cother is a former Jehovah's Witness who disassociated, as they say, in September 2020 to create uh, a, a YouTube channel. He's on Twitter. He advocates for critical thinking and freedom of speech. He's a really, really interesting guy, an impressive person, I think, a very Im- impressive talker, speaker, I should say. And what a pleasure to meet him. What a pleasure to do this podcast in person. I'm intrigued. Let me know if you think it's different somehow. Does it feel different when it's in person uh, rather than remote calls or, or, or not? Maybe it. Maybe it's you know no difference i'm i'm intrigued to know let me know also do follow harrison cothers the truth hurts youtube channel uh he's got loads of subscribers he's really really good at what he does he's also got a patreon so go find that and he's on twitter as you know the truth hurts and he's a really nice guy and the stories he tells i mean we could have gone for hours because unfortunately his mum is an alcoholic who's who's not in a good way uh, um unfortunately and his dad is still in the Jehovah's Witness community, which is really sad because he was so close with him. You'll hear all about that. Um, Big episodes are coming up. Obviously, I've just mentioned that uh, um, Alex Barnes-Ross Scientology one. There's H.G. Tudor on again to talk about uh, (laughs) Meghan and Markle and uh, all those things. And Julia Hart, uh, the former Hasidic Jewish 
woman. She's she's still a, a woman. She's just not Hasidic Jewish anymore. Uh, and she's from that My Unorthodox Life reality TV show on Netflix, which is fantastic. She's a really smart person who's basically like taken over the world of fashion. So loads of big stuff coming up. Right now, though, you're on the edge of the Jehovah's Witness community with Harrison Cover. Harrison Cotier, welcome on the edge. Um, were you born into Jehovah's Witness? Tell me your story about Jehovah's Witnesses. Tell me a bit what, what was going on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, my mum has never been a Jehovah's Witness. She, My dad has always been a Jehovah's Witness. So my dad is third generation. Uh, so his grandparent, Ken, was with my dad when they called on my mum on the ministry. And my dad was a bit of a naughty boy. He went rogue. And he made a few return visits on my mum. Now, you're only meant to marry in the faith. So my dad was meant to marry another Jehovah's Witness, but he uh, kind of went down the wrong path, went for my mum, a worldly woman. Um, they then moved away to South Africa, a couple of kids, an affair later, split household. And I'm growing up in two polar disparate households, one which is like... North Korea, in terms of its orderliness, its religi religiosity, wow. and one which is what Jehovah's Witnesses would dub as extremely fleshly and worldly. Worldly you know? is the word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's alcoholic, um, swearing, violence. There, there were there were very good times at my mum's house growing up, and it's worth saying that because everyone knows if if you know an alcoholic, it's not always bad. It's not always good. It's a roller coaster. You get your extremes of highs and lows. But at the age of about 13, uh, due to conditions at my mum's house deteriorating so badly, I gave her a letter, moved permanently to my dad's house. And it was at that crucial age, 13, 14, where you're hypersensitive to mental programming, brainwashing, you want to be led, is where a boy turns to a man. And that process for me kind of at my dad's was steered into the pathway at the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, wow. And and that that that's almost like a, a picture perfect Jehovah's Witness advert because the worldly one and worldly being the word that Jehovah's Witnesses use for people who are not of the faith, um, you know, alcoholism, difficulties, and whatever, and then orderliness, and it's almost like you can imagine the the advert with like a sun shining and everything, yeah. orderliness and niceness. So I can see. So that obviously that 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 took hold of you at that point. Yeah, that is the propaganda they put out. They show you images of the world and that is what they want to propagate to the congregations. If you don't take on the religion, this is what your life is going to be like. You will turn into a drug addict, a gambler, all this negativity in your life. But only if you listen to Jehovah and his organisation, your life will be free-flowing with flowers, milk and honey. You will have a perfect marriage, perfect kids. Um, so yeah, it did take hold of me at that young age. And... Well, when your only option is to live at your dad's because you can't go back to your mum's, I don't think mentally you have a third option, obviously, when you have two parents. I think it would be interesting, looking back with hindsight, if I had an an average, normal parent without any sort of addiction, God addiction or alcohol addiction, I probably would have, looking back, maybe been steered to be with them as sort of like a neutral ground between the two extremes. But that option wasn't available. So as a child, you crave stability. You crave normality, routine and love and acceptance. And you're not going to get any more love and acceptance than the love bombardment that happens at a kingdom hall. And as a young man, 
You see uh, positions of oversight within the congregation. These are the men you respect. These are the men you admire. These are the men who speak on behalf of God. And that is what you want to be in future. So you get onto the hamster wheel and you don't really go anywhere. You just keep running on the hamster wheel and you get more privileges. You know, you get uh, an unbaptized publisher so you can count your ministry. You get given the microphone duty to take around the kingdom hall. You get to do the sound system at the back. You then can go on the platform and give talks to the congregation. And every step of the way, you are commended and congratulated. And it's this ego boost. It's this false, obviously, sense of pride and self-esteem that they tell you to be humble. But everyone knows that these positions mean something. It's supposedly the further you are up the hierarchy, ministerial servant, elder, circuit overseer, governing body, which are the eight or so men who lead the organisation. The further higher you're up, the more you are called a slave to help others. But everyone knows that you're in a higher position of power and you have more authority over everyone else beneath you. Man, that's so. That's such an astute observation, I guess, about most cults and religions. Um, and I don't think I thought of it that way. Uh, the humility you're supposed to have, you become more of a servant or whatever, the higher up you go. But of course, you get all these privileges, you're more respected. What what kind of stuff were you doing as a Jehovah's what, what many people do as Jehovah's Witnesses, the people who have no idea about the faith, you know, birthdays and Christmas, for example, what, what kinds of things were very different for you? Different from the life of an everyday person, would you say? Everything. Every thought is captive to the organisation So a day in the life of a normal person is I get up, I do what I want and I go to bed. You get up, you do what God wants, then you go to bed. And then even in bed, what are you thinking about before you go to bed? Are you having naughty thoughts? Yes. Are you you doing something you shouldn't be in bed? I meant yes, as in I understood your point, not yes, I'm having naughty thoughts, just to to clarify. (laughs) You still are. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, But that is the level of mind control. Uh, you know, it's Stephen Hassan's bite model in there. The behaviour uh, that that leads to everything else, the control in every aspect of your life. And I suppose at school, I didn't, I didn't broadcast my religiosity too much. I think a lot of people knew there was something different that maybe you know one of my parents was Jehovah's Witnesses, but I didn't want to let that sabotage my school years and create such a division with my classmates. Because if a Jehovah's Witness were to honestly tell their classmates their beliefs, hey guys, I didn't celebrate the special holidays of the year you do very soon you'll all be dead i'm gonna leave school soon i'm gonna go on the ministry to try and convince your parents and you that you're gonna be dead unless you take on my religion i mean you just completely ostracize it'd be social suicide wouldn't it so you have to have a double life from an early age i think every jehovah's witness has a degree of a double life it's just how much of a double life you have that must have been really difficult for you though because you must have thought my friends are gonna die like that must, it's like, ah, they're going to die unless I convert them. But if I convert them, I lose my, you know, social life. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like any sensitive subject. Take something like, you know, the vaccines recently and stuff like that. Whatever opinion you have on it, whether you're pro against whatever, pro lockdown, whatever, pro government authority uh, mandates, regulations, it became such a, a religious idea. Maybe this is going to help relate to viewers who have never been a Jehovah's Witness. If you talk to your family members who were the other side of the fence, it divided families. It split families and people didn't talk to each other. People lost family members over this. And that is the level of, obviously, religion is is the major thing in life, which people tend not to discuss because of its power to divide. So at school, you know not to discuss these things. Um, I did well at school um, from a, you know, intellectual sort of um, grade perspective. But... Every Jehovah's Witness male, young male, 
and female, I suppose, but male knows, you seek positions of oversight and responsibility in the congregation. You do not seek glory in Satan's system. And I suppose that's very similar in every cult. You get the message, do not seek glory for yourself in the world. That is something that should be frowned upon. And if you if you say, I want to go to university to study this, this and this, they say, why would you do that? Armageddon's coming any second now. You want to use that special time you have left in this system to help people gain salvation. You don't want to waste that becoming a doctor or a lawyer. It's rubbish. And when a Jehovah's Witness asks, how are you? They don't mean, how are you in life? They mean, how are you spiritually? That's the focus. There's there's no levels. It's just spirituality. There's no, you know, how are you doing mentally? How are you doing in this regard financially? It's, how are you? And when you say, I'm doing all right, that means, oh, they might be struggling spiritually. So that is the sole focus. And you don't think about anything else. Does that mean then that we have fewer Jehovah's Witness uh, doctors and, uh, you know, uh, high-performing academic careers? I think it'd be astounding if Jehovah's Witnesses had a policy of seek greatness for yourself because God has given you the ability to be great, which could be a line. I think it would astound people, the amount of professional footballers, professional athletes, because a Jehovah's Witness mentality is an elite mentality often. It is a mentality of superiority, as in, I'm doing this, I'm dedicating my life to this. You know, so many Jehovah's Witnesses dedicate minimum 70 hours a month to Pioneer. That is a hell of a lot of effort they are expending every month knocking on people's doors trying to convert. If they converted that energy and put it and ploughed it into something different, they would harvest, I mean, if they ploughed it into something financial, they'd they'd be very successful. If they ploughed into something like me at a young age, I could have pursued football. Um, I would have likely been relatively high level minimum, I would say. But it does, it is a shame, um, you know, when me and my wife, Melissa, we look at those we used to know in the congregations, you know, 50, 60 year old, really nice people who are living in maybe a one bedroom flat. They've never been married. They've never had a relationship even. They obviously don't have kids. They've sacrificed their whole existence for a religion, which is nothing more than an unfounded lie, you know, propagated by men in America. It's overwhelmingly tragic when you mm. think about it like that. Why, why are they alone, though? Because is, isn't there, as, as without every religion and, and, and cult and sect and everything, this sort of push to marry and, and have children and stuff? See, this is where ex-Jehovah's Witnesses have split beliefs on how evil the governing body are. Because you have the leaders and... Some people would say, well, these leaders are evil. They know what they're doing. That's why they tell family members to shun um, those who leave the organisation because they want to protect the group. They want to preserve that. And then you have those who are like, well, they're just believing members. Like you like you and me when we were in the religion, they're just believing members. And I tend to lean more towards that side because I think to myself, well, if I was a leader of Jehovah's Witnesses... You know that the ministry no longer really gets people in. You know, I devoted probably over 5,000 minimum hours on the ministry knocking on doors. I never converted a single person. Wow. It it doesn't work. What? It's not effective. The only people who convert are those on the fringes of society, kind of the outcasts, um, those who are seeking some sort of social acceptance. And that's what they get at the Kingdom Hall. But I never converted anyone. It doesn't work. Therefore, one in three Jehovah's Witnesses who grow up stay in the religion. Two thirds leave at some point. So if you have 
six children, two are going to stay in. So it makes me think, well, if the governing body really were evil, they would say, guys, the Bible does not teach about uh, contraception. It's something that we've made a mistake on. We, we shouldn't be using it. And that will encourage us to have obviously larger families. Like God said to Abraham, all these yeah. patriarchs of old. It's one of the things that bemuses me and my friends when we talk about it. We're mm. like, well, they could. that's the only way they're going to continue. They're and missing so out. They on, are. And without yeah. that, I feel like their numbers will continue to go down. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I've just I've just done a couple of interviews with um, Hasidic Jewish women who like their whole lives are praying about finding a nice man to have children with. And it makes sense. And it's actually something I worry about as a secular Jewish person uh, with regards to Israel, because right now Israel, I, th I think, I'm, I'm, I, it's just off memory, something like 20% are Hasidic Jewish people and like 80% are secular. But that number of 20% is going to rise really fast. You know, the more Hasidic and extreme they become, which, is, which they will do, and the more secular the others become, it's going to eventually be a majority uh, Hasidic Jewish. And it, it's, it surprises me, and they will vote, I should say, more and more right-wing, and it's going to lead to all sorts of issues. I mean, there's already huge Israel issues. It's going to lead to a lot more, which is very worrying for a lot of people. So for the Jehovah's Witnesses then to sort of be missing an opportunity, uh, maybe it's just a case of, um, yeah, as you say, true believers, you think. That's what the, the people at the top of, what are they they're called the governing? The governing body. Mm. The governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. One of them was recently removed, but I heard that a couple, I, I tend not to keep up with it. There are some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who are on the website every day. They're just still obsessed with it. You know, it's like a pill that they still keep on taking. They need their intake of it. Since I left the religion a few years ago, I distanced myself from it, but I still have the moral obligation on my YouTube channel to put the content out, work on my book, because this is something inside me that I've got to give to the world. But mentally, I don't think I can still be in that place where I'm checking on it 24-7 because it takes, takes such a toll on your psychology mm. and on your mental health. Are you now checking your YouTube 24-7? No. Because I am. <laughs> I, 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 I rarely check it. I as I, as I said, I'm trying to write a book, which yeah. I'm hoping will be out by my 30th kind of birthday-ish, or at least be done. It's hard to balance everything in life. You've got your work, you've got your book, you've got your YouTube, you've got your family commitments. Um, just trying to find that balance is incredibly tough. Yeah. Imagine if you were still knocking on, on doors and things. I wouldn't have the time. Yeah. Although there, I'd I mean, be looked down on, wouldn't I? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. There are still uh, celebrity Jehovah's Witnesses, aren't there? I'm thinking... Um, was Zadie Smith was one, was one or is one? I'm not sure. The two I'm aware of was, you know, the Williams sisters and yes. Prince. Michael Jackson? It's hard. It's hard with these ones because you get different reports from different places. Perhaps their parents or step-parents might have been Jehovah's Witness and then perhaps at their lives they had a minor affiliation or then maybe they left the, left the sports like Serena Williams and got baptised. Um, what's clear to me is that these people who kind of sought glory for themselves they weren't fully mentally in because you, you wouldn't do that if you were fully mentally in and like in all religions there's different levels of indoctrination different le levels of devotion to the religion and these celebrity jehovah's witnesses they kind of dabbled yeah. in it and then maybe at some point in their life fully committed i can't help but notice but that those celebrities i'm thinking out loud here uh but prince Michael Jackson, Serena and Venus Williams, uh, Zadie Smith, they're all uh, black. Is that is that is there like a, a, a larger mix of demographic in Jehovah's Witness? 
how much of the how many of those are American? Are all of them American that we've just mentioned? I think Zadie Smith's British. Okay, that's but interesting the others. because I th- I found that most kind of celebrity Jehovah's Witnesses are are in America. Okay, um, it's not really something that's I wouldn't I wouldn't have ever thought growing up that that would be acceptable for me to go and pursue some sort of celebrity <laughs> celebrity status my dad would have knocked that out of me at a young I mean I even asked my dad if I could go on the game show deal or no deal oh and he said no because w- think about what it would do in the minds of other people in the congregation they'd see you on it and they'd think well I could go and do that for myself so going on a game show is essentially forbidden so I can't imagine what being a global pop star traveling the world having people you know say your name sing you you sing your name and worship you essentially it just it just wouldn't be tolerated a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, do you think, it, I mean, it held you back? I mean, we talked before you had aspirations or you'd still do of, of potentially being an actor. It's one of the things I've I've thought of. Obviously, with the YouTube channel, you try your hand at different scenarios. Mm. Uh, it's it's one it's one thing that I would like to give a go at. Whether or not I do in the realm of my lifetime possibility is maybe it might not happen. Um, but definitely, 
at those important years between, I suppose, 16 to 18 and your school academic time, I just quashed all of my own personal ambition and gave my soul to the organisation and regular began to regular pioneer 70 hours a month, window clean two days a week with my dad. And that was my life, week in, week out. I had my £130 to live on, to pay rent, to do everything with at my dad's house. And I devoted, you know, four days to the ministry. And it's a full-on demanding schedule. And you are highly brainwashed, highly indoctrinated. You're at the mercy of the organisation then. And that's when you fully submerge yourself. Because then you have no contact at school, do you? You, you've you've essentially removed any worldly contact, so you're only surrounded by those who think, believe, and act in harmony with your religious conduct. There's a lot of debate about um, cults versus religions, and people say one of the differences, take Scientology, is that you have to pay to get a lot of the information. There's tears, and you pay more and more money, and that's that's what makes it a cult rather than a religion like Christianity, where the Bible it's all open. So where does Jehovah's Witness stand on that? Because I don't know. In my mind, I'm like is that that seems like a religion more than a cult to me. But what, what where is where do you stand on that? So it has d- different facets of Jehovah's Witnesses tick the different boxes between what I'd classically associate a religion and a cult. On the cult side, you tend to think about money, and that's how they keep uh, in function. Jehovah's Witnesses don't get a subscription contract out of you. If you don't want to pay a penny to the religion your entire life, you don't have to. I didn't pay, I almost didn't pay a penny when I was in. That's not a good thing. You should be maybe contributing stuff. But I thought, well, if I'm given 70 hours a month, maybe (laughs) the organisation should be paying me. Yeah. But obviously, you don't get paid for what you do. That They use the quote from the New Testament. You receive free, give free. There are those who obviously pay uh, you know, monthly subscriptions, £100, things like that, to the organisation, which keeps them in function. Wills are left. But they don't operate on that policy. The, the, the thing that, for me, separates a religion to a cult, and I've heard other Jehovah's Witnesses say, this ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, is what happens when you leave. I think Church of England, I think Roman Catholic, I think all the religions within my vicinity in uh, Middle England, if you leave those sort of religions, no one really cares. You can still maintain contact with your family. You might be having a, a different conversation as you're eating your roast dinner on a Sunday. Oh, I didn't see you at church. Oh, no, it's not really for me. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, it'd be a shame not to have you there. But, you know, each one to their own. And then you have a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses, where if you doubt and you volumize your doubt to family or to an elder, you are blacklisted, you are ostracized, you are labeled bad association, your family won't eat with you, people will limit how much time they spend with you, won't talk to you, and then eventually, once you, you either disassociate or get disfellowshipped, they will never talk to you again. It's a complete cutting off. Now, from from that perspective, you have, you know, imagine if a bunch of people are in a field trying to dig up gold and they're convinced they're going to get the gold, but you know that there's no gold. You, you, you found a way, you know, a, a technology where you can see under the ground, you know there's no gold, you know it's all BS, but you can't talk to them because the religion's told you know, it's convinced them that you're now evil, yeah. that you're now Satan. So even if you told them that there's no gold in that field, stop digging, 
You're not going to find anything. It's useless. It's just talking to a wall because you are Satan. So there are facets like that, the propaganda, the brainwashing of how to view people who leave, which keep those in, inside the organization brainwashed. That's what I think of when I think of cult. To continue that metaphor, I suppose the people digging for the gold, a certain percentage of them must have those same doubts, but just smiling. I'm imagining lots of smiling people, yeah. but on the inside, completely torn apart. It's one thing I've thought about. How many Jehovah's Witnesses have woken up, want to leave, but can't? And when I began questioning, severely questioning in my early to mid-twenties, I genuinely, when I was laying in bed at four in the morning with bags under my eyes, not being able to sleep with the weight of the world on my shoulders from these doubts that I had about different God of the Old and New Testament, Noah's Ark, history of animal life on earth. I was genuinely night after night thinking, only 70 years and then I die. Just keep this suppressed for 70 years. Don't oh. tell anyone. Just And the pressure of that was so overwhelming. The only reason... I talked to my wife, Melissa, and my dad was because I was genuinely, genuinely afraid for my own mental health of having a serious breakdown. And how did that go, those conversations? I sent an email to my dad nine months before that point. And the first email, I, I, I said, I know it's important that if we have doubts, we seek answers to them. Therefore, I'd like to talk to you about a range of different topics. The first one I started with was animals. I sent him some... Um, images, both that I'd taken in person and I'd found online, of carnivorous animal behaviour before 6,000 years ago. What that does essentially is it, it proves that Satan is not responsible for the way animals used to behave because before Satan uh, rebelled and Adam and Eve rebelled, the only person who could create animals was obviously Jehovah. And yet here you have these animals who were killing each other and eating each other alive. And the image of God I had in my head was God is love. He is mercy. He is justice. He is kind. He is empathetic. But what sort of a God like that creates an ecosystem for hundreds of millions of years, which is full of blood, chase, fear, paranoia, younglings being taken from the nest and ripped apart, mothers, you know, in emotional distress what sort what so you have so you have evidence here you have the fossilized evidence that i have and you have the doctrine and that's the clash that's what creates a cognitive dissonance in your mind and so I, I i alerted my dad to this and he said you know it's good that you're asking questions the apostle paul said to keep testing what you yourselves are then he bombarded me with a hundred watchtower references so on jw.org you've got this thing called the watchtower online library where you research a topic and that's what you're trained to do. So all he did as an appointed man was type in dinosaurs, enter. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. He didn't think one second. He didn't even probably click on the the images that I'd attached to the email because yeah. he knew they were nonsense. He knew they were satanic. And the only source of truth is the website. What kind of things do they say uh, about dinosaurs? They, If truth is obvious, which... You know, you look at a T-Rex, you don't have to be a genius to realise that this thing was a killer. What they do is they like to um, get, in the, get in the water, swirl their hand around at the bottom of the dirt, and then make the water really murky so you can't see into it anymore. So they'll say things like, well, it's been proved that this one dinosaur ate grass. Yeah. 
Or, well, it's been proved that this one dinosaur was a scavenger. Essentially, we don't know. But we know Jehovah. And that's the get-out-of-jail-free card. It's, we know Jehovah. You know, from praying to Jehovah your entire life, that he is a God of love, justice, mercy, empathy, peace, kindness. So what's right? What we know about Jehovah or what we don't know about dinosaurs? Uh So that's all they want to do. Because but, but even the time limits, like okay, <laughs> forget that. I mean, that argument's a little bit more abstract. Like, well, why are there, why is there bad in the world if there's, you know? And that, I mean, obviously, I get, I get it, but they, I can see how they would, you know, make that murky. But just, the, I, I suppose, I, I'm just imagining now going, well, look, we've got fossils that show before, because presumably the world is what six thousand years old, is it? No, so they have an interesting perspective. So Adam ah. and Eve were created, and the Garden of Eden at around six thousand years, but the creative days could be millennia. They could be thousands, millions of years. Oh. So that allows for the creative days to be periods of time, according to the Hebrew word yom. But the actual timeline of life on earth 6,000 years ago, Adam and Eve, all animals were in paradise, peace and unity. Not one animal killed another. Uh, Adam and Eve, the words predator, prey, herbivore, carnivore weren't in Adam and Eve's vocabulary. But obviously what we learn is what Bible writers didn't know at the time was that for hundreds of millions of years, there's been chaos on earth. And it is really black and white. Like you talk to a Jehovah's Witness and you show them fossilised evidence of carnivorous behaviour before 6,000 years ago. It's black and white and it should destroy their belief, but it doesn't. So that was nine months before I yes. you know, was lying in bed having the weight of the world on my shoulders. And for nine months, I've been thinking about it every night. I, I was still doing public talks in those nine months. I was on the platform talking to 150 people for half an hour on a Sunday morning with the with the outline evidence of God in the world around us, convincing them that this God existed, Wow! yet I had already debunked that God. That must have been hard to do. Like, psychologically, it must have been difficult for you. I think I've, I've got a recording, an MP3 recording of my last public talk. And I, as always, I sounded as passionate, as persuasive as, 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 as ever, as, as any public talk I'd ever done. But inside, there, I was being torn in two by this. And... I always was able to prove that there was a God. I was a bit of a Christian apologist. I could use all these different arguments to prove there was something. But proving the God that Jehovah's Witnesses believe in, the specific niche Israelite God, Yahweh, well, that's a huge, huge bridge and I could never cross it. Um, So yeah, telling Melissa, telling my dad was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And immediately, you know, my wife, is wondering who this is talking to her. You know, who is this new person who is saying that they're not sure about everything? Who, who, you know, is that Satan talking to me? Mm. I think those were her words. I don't know whether it's Satan. You know, looking at me talking to her, I'm oh, not sure man. it's Satan. It's so Which, weird to think of that, like to be a fly on the wall and your your wife is saying... It's scary looking yeah. back because that was now, you know, four or five years ago and... She wasn't even that religious. She was a Jehovah's Witness, but she wasn't my level of indoctrination. But that just shows, even for those who are Jehovah's Witnesses, but they're not really, they're still convinced. If anyone speaks any doubts or anything like that, it's got to be Satan. You know, that's the level of brainwashing, let alone my dad. Now, my dad is on a different level. He's 10 tiers down at the hierarchy of like elder doing circuit work he's he's a big dog in the game i've co- i've always referred to him since i've left as a cult leader 
not by hierarchical position. He's not a member of the governing body. But if you think about a football team, you don't need to be the appointed captain to be called a leader in the dressing room. And my dad was always in the Kingdom Hall. No matter what his position, he would go around making sure everyone's okay, everyone's good, everyone's got their plans for the week. Do you want to come out on the ministry? It was his job to make sure everyone was good. And so I I think it took my dad back a bit when I first WhatsApp called him and I said to him, I'm not the person you think I am. Oh my God. Imagine and making that call. It, it was oh. so tough because he was on the ministry at the time and he said, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I'm not the person you think <sighs> I am. I said, I'm not going to speak too long for now, but what I'll do is I'll put together a few Word documents and I'll send them over to you tonight. And that was 9.30 in the morning. I then hung up. I took the day off work window cleaning. I got my laptop out. Have you seen the film Limitless with Bradley Cooper? Yes. Where he, Bits of it. I can't remember exactly. Basically, yeah. it, the concept is there's this drug called NZT and yeah. you take an NZT and it enables you to access 100% of your yes. brain. And he's a writer and he just goes mad. Bradley Cooper and he hands it in the next day, a full story. That was like me. I just, all my thoughts, seven word documents within the space of a few hours over to my dad. And I don't think he was ready for it. You know, I'd done a document on... Um, human behaviour versus animal behaviour, kind of more of an evolution perspective. Dinosaurs, carnivores, Noah's Ark, God of the Old Testament versus God of the New Testament. And I just hit him with all of them. And even though I hadn't really talked to him, that getting that off my shoulders, just letting those around me know that I'm not the person you think I am. I describe it to them at the time and to other elders as what it's like probably... 50, 100 years ago for a homosexual to tell their family that they were gay. I bet. It's perhaps worse. Yeah, because it's just, it's not acceptable. You shouldn't be like that. There's something wrong with you. That's the stereotype that I, I received and that obviously homosexuals received for a large part of history. Absolutely. And I mean, I presume you loved your father or love your, love your father now. Because uh, I moved to my dad's when I was 13... And dad didn't have a partner because of the religion. We weren't just father and son. We were best friends. Oh my God. So when I, when I lost that relationship with him, I, I, I miss him every, if I'm being honest, I like to pretend like we all do that we're okay in life, but I'll be lying if I didn't say I miss him every day. I think about him every day. And um, it's, that was the hardest part for me. If I had to choose between my dad and my wife, who I wanted to wake up and who I wanted to save from eternity of wasting the rest of their life, I would have chose my wife, Melissa. But nonetheless, I, I love them both so much, losing one of them. I held out a hope for my dad. It's like, well, people could say that's foolish. You know, you really held out a hope that your dad who'd been brainwashed from the womb for 50 years could wake up. It's like, well... I, I hoped so. I hoped that by showing him evidence, it might over time wear off. He might have questions. But even though I haven't spoken to him for years, my brother who I'm in contact with, who never got baptised, every so often I'll say, you know, he'll say, has, I spoke to dad and, you know, he's, he's, he's just brainwashed as he ever is. He's more convinced now than ever because of the Ukraine-Russia thing that we're now living in the last days. And something will happen next year and that will make him more convinced than ever that Armageddon's coming. And I realised that evidence, logic, rationality, none of it was even a grain of sand on the concrete house that was the religion and the indoctrination that he'd built up for 50 years. If anything, it just made him stronger in the face. Um, it, 
it, it must be so frustrating because I can imagine, do you have like moments every day where you go, or maybe like a split second, you go, maybe that will convince him. Is, is that going through your well, mind? Well, I haven't spoken to him since I left the religion in, in a few years. So was, and that, I can't was that the speak last, was that when you no, sent no, the I, stuff? No, I, no, I was in email interchange communication with him for about 14 months, 14 months back and forward of me trying to open his mind and him just red flagging every one of my behaviours, emails, basically say, oh, be careful, that sounds a bit apostate. Oh, where did you get that from? Oh, what are you reading? Oh, how did you find that? It didn't stop me wanting to try to wake my dad up. Um, it was so tough, though. From his perspective, why, why would you leave the truth? And the fact that I wanted to leave, he was like, well... It's, it, you're making it sound like you've been abused. You know, your life wasn't bad. I looked after you. I loved you. And yet you're you're sounding like you've been raised in this horrific environment. That wasn't the point. I think the point for me, and maybe this is what we'll go on to, is, is what happens when you wake up? Is what what are your options if you want to have your basic human rights? So if I want to be able to have this conversation with you today... Or even go down the news agent and someone say, are you still a Jehovah's Witness? No, because XXX, XYZ. To have that conversation, I need to have my basic human rights, my freedom of speech and my freedom of religion. But they come at a cost. So if I said to my dad, I will never say a word to anyone as long as I live, I could have stayed in the religion. But essentially what that means is that when someone asks, oh, you still a Jehovah's Witness? Yes, I am. I'd have to say, yes, I am. Because I couldn't say, no, I'm not, because then I couldn't proceed with the conversation. I, because if I was to talk to someone, the fear is, if they or any word gets back to the elders, they would interpret that to me, me broadcasting my apostasy, and then they would kick me out. So I'd get a bullet through my head anyway. So essentially, cutting it all down, a gun is put to your head and you are told if you speak to anyone we will pull the trigger and you will be dead to your friends, family and community and you will lose your job. I wanted my basic human rights. I, I thought, well, I've got maybe 70 years left on this earth. I'm not repressing myself for the next 70 years. I'm being my authentic self, whatever price it comes at. And so essentially what I did was I turned the gun on myself. I didn't give them the pleasure of shooting. I did it. And I handed in my letter of disassociation and yeah, lost everything at the same time. And I just, I can't begin to describe to someone who's never been gone through that, the, the psychological trauma that that process has. And I'm not sure that many people can get through it. I think I'm in, I'm in the small majority of people who can go through that and come out relatively unscathed. But even then, you suffer with numerous serious mental health problems for the rest of your life, for sure. Is another issue, just, so that's the isolation and the shunning, is another issue also, I'm just trying to put my head in, you know, imagine growing up believing, right, well, I'm doing all this for the good of the world and I'm going to go to this heaven place and it's going to be great. And then waking up, well, now that heaven's not there, and this, I guess this is, I'm projecting a bit because I worry a lot about dying and my own mortality and getting older and that stuff. Now you have to think, I have fewer years than I than I thought. I don't have eternity. I've only got, well, 50, 70 years or something. 
I think that's why I called my YouTube channel The Truth Hurts, because obviously Jehovah's Witnesses as an in, inside group refer to themselves as the truth. Mm-hmm. So if I just met you and you were a brother from Cornwall and I'm from the Midlands, I'd say, oh, Andrew, how, how long have you been in the truth? And you'd say, oh, I was raised in the truth. And someone asked me, oh, I've only been in the truth two years. So that is what they refer to themselves as, the truth. But also I called the channel The Truth Hurts because the truth, which from my um agnostic atheistic perspective that we are bits of dust on a planet orbiting a star we will be dead very soon how many people will really care that i'm dead a small handful how many friends do i really have who care about me couple no one cares you're not going to hold your wife's hand in paradise for for eternity like i thought there's no god out there who's going to reward you the bad things that have happened to you will not be punished. There is injustice and all religion is, is a means of appeasing our sense of injustice about our own existence. You know, this fury that our life is short and it's filled with pain. And that is where religion has been sourced from throughout history. Uh, and yeah, I just, my, it's interesting, Melissa, my wife, only a few weeks ago, she said, she started crying and I said, what's wrong? And she says, I guess I've just never thought like life is so quick. And I said, yeah, that's why I'm talking about kids because before you know it, we're going to be 40, we're going to be 50. And I said, part of the human experience for me, maybe might be having a child. And I think because we woke up in our mid twenties, that's what most, and we had to form our own new reality and our own morals, our own ethics. That's what most people do when they're like 16, 17, 18, their formative years. So we're starting our life in our mid-twenties and it feels like it's going so fast and it feels like I'm almost 30 but I still feel like a 22-year-old inside. Like I should have time to become a man. But no, you're 30. You've got to start thinking about these things like kids, taking life seriously because before you know it, you're gone. And I think that what I went through when I was waking up, the truth hurting is what Melissa, my wife, is, is finally coming to, coming to terms with now. And did it really, because I can't imagine how much that would hurt, That because it's happened to me over, as you say, a period, my formative years. Yeah. It was difficult, as it is for many people as a teenager. And it's one of the few things, you know, people say, talk about it more, uh, your fear of death and fear of all these things. But there's not really much that can be done. It's going to happen. I, 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 people could say, well, get used to it and sort of get comfortable with the idea, uh, which I find hard. But it happened over a period of years, and I still struggle with it. So for you to suddenly be like, whack, like, actually, that amazing stuff's not happening. Mm. That, that must there hurt. is also a sense of relief which huh. also needs to be mentioned right because the greatest thing religion has ever done and the worst thing is convince humans that they're not animals that they are created superior yeah. that we are this anthropocentric outlook of the world because God created us in his image in subjection is all the animals and then you realise from an evolutionary perspective the more you look into it oh we are related to other animals oh our intelligence is the only thing that is really better than any other species, you know, relatively speaking. Even other species possess better speed, um, eyesight, yeah, all these sorts of stuff are better than other animals. We just have our minds, which is superior, but it's also to our own detriment. And I think that's what's fascinating is that you, you, you come to this waking up period and God's out of your life now and you don't feel guilty. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, well... 
I used to worry and I used to cry as an adult male over my past sins, over my transgressions, whether Jehovah could ever forgive me, whether Jehovah would bring Armageddon and I would die with a few with a few other Jehovah's Witnesses who were sinners, but most of them would go through. My dad would, my dad and my wife would be there in the new system, thinking, "Where's Harrison?" You know, I thought I thought he was a ministerial. I thought he's a good lad. That fear is now gone. You know, it, and that's I, I'm a good animal. I'm I'm married. I'm loyal to my wife. Yeah, we all have improper thoughts about different things, but. You know, when you contrast the self-punishment and the self-guilt I used to feel over my my natural tendencies to now accepting who you are as an animal and actually thinking, wow, considering that this is what your body or your mind or whatever wants to do, you're behaving in a very ethical way. Yeah, well, self. speaking of self-punishment, that... You know, I, having spoken to people from different religions and things, certain things crop up with different religions and things. Like I, like I was saying before, with Hasidic Judaism, it's about the marrying, same with the Moonies. With Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, forgive me becoming uncouth, but masturbation comes up time and time again as like the, the thing that everyone is made to feel guilty about. Was that your experience? Yeah, I think my dad used to say, I know there's some brothers who, who don't touch themselves and who don't do this. Mm, there aren't. I don't think there are. <laughs> um, I, you know, you, that that was like one of the main things which I put on one of the initial word documents to my dad. It's like, so you have God, you have Him in heaven, and He creates a man and a woman, and His mission when creating man and woman is to create them to be fully harmonious and fully sexually synchronized, so that neither of them is looking elsewhere, and so that neither of them is dissatisfied. And so what He does is He gives the the woman, one fertile egg a month. And he gives the man countless billions of sperm <laughs> per day. Yeah, And it's like, okay, yeah, that's going to work, is it? That's going to work. And, and according to your plan, everyone's going to walk around naked as well in this garden. Yeah, like like Adam's just going to be there not looking at his descendants, like 19-year-olds, like, oh, she's a bit of something. I mean, it, it, when you as soon as you begin to realise about our actual history the actual history of animal kind and of our planet, it makes so much sense and that it explains why you had all of these doubts when you're in the religion. And it's like, oh, wow, I wasn't crazy. I was just indoctrinated and I was just brainwashed. And this is something that happens to people of all faiths and of all cults. Mm. Okay, so a lot of people I've spoken to, that's that's caused, uh, we don't have to go too far into this, but it's caused particularly Mormons as well, as well as Jehovah's Witnesses, it causes hang-ups sometimes, this guilt around masturbation and that kind of thing, that linger afterwards. I mean, are there things from, from being in Jehovah's Witnesses? We've talked, of course, about uh, how it's perhaps held you back in certain careers and, and aspirations and things, but other parts of your life, perhaps sexually, perhaps whatever else, where it's held you back? I, I think it has an influence over everything. Um, I talked to my friend Matt recently. We did a little sit-down discussion like this about the sexual repression and how that impacts you for life because essentially you are you go from a barren desert of nothing in a world around you which is hypersexualized um but you're not allowed to look or touch anything in this city of hypersexualization you have to stay in your desert but then one day you get married and you're thrust into a full-on monogamous relationship so it's like it's like going from the desert to a paradise. But then when you leave the religion, you no longer you no longer have an organization or a god telling you what's acceptable and what's not. You have to form your own uh, morality. You, what is right, what is wrong? 
should I, should I, I, I didn't get to live my y- life in my youth. So now's my chance to, but then is it destroying a good relationship? Like, like I'm happy with Melissa, you know, we, we've been together for years. She, she woke up. I woke up. We're happy. But you'd be lying if you said that you didn't feel like you missed out slightly on something when you were younger. And I think that's the same with Mormons. That's the same with other people in these high control groups is that they spend what the world perceives to be the best years of your life. Those early years, those years where you should be experimenting or traveling and the organization takes all the strength, all the youth from you and uses it in their pursuit to gain more members. And then you leave the religion and you're in a different state. So you're you're now in your adult phase of life where if you did go out into the wide world dating, well, firstly, no one's going to understand your history. Are they going to care about your history? What damage do you have? What mental trauma have you been through that's unrelatable? There's all these questions that the person you're going to be with after dating, they're not going to be able to relate to you. They won't have this shared history. So there's so much mentally to think about when you leave the religion. Um, But no, what you will find among its JWs, just like with Mormons, is that the the damage from the sexual repression uh, lasts a long time. Conversely, uh, as my friend Matt said in our discussion, there are benefits of the sexual repression. For example, you look at people um, maybe that I went to school with um, who maybe have unwanted kids or they suffered multiple heartbreaks off people they thought were the love of their life. And now they have all this baggage by my age. They're single. They've turned to maybe alcohol or to drugs or something like that. When I think a lot of people would, would envy my sort of virginity to a solo marriage. And and that is special. And I know how special that is. You know, how many people in the world around you, uh, such as me and my wife, are truly in love and have only ever been with one person? Mm. It's it's a rarity. <clears throat> it's not really going to happen much. Yeah. So yeah. I think there are two sides to the coin. But naturally, when you leave a religion like Jehovah's Witnesses, the majority of ex-members only focus on the negative. That they're, they're, they're naturally quite bitter and resentful. And I have been bitter and resentful. But I would be lying and deceiving myself if I didn't say that Jehovah's Witnesses as a whole raise relatively uh, well-rounded, moral, nice people. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's something that I've always wanted to tell Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, having experienced it on the other side, uh, it's not that good. I mean, I mean, the whole sort of being a teenager and going out and meeting all these different people. And I'm sure a lot of people listening and watching go, what are you talking about? For me, it was. But almost everyone I've spoken to, when they're honest with you, doesn't really envy those years because they're just filled with misery, insecurity. Does this girl even like me? And Or does this guy like me? And did I do that wrong? And loads of things going wrong sexually as well. Uh, and when people are completely honest, um, so, so I, I, don't, I, I would say to you and, and to others who have left, like you probably didn't miss out that much. <laughs> and I think like that what you said, that is a beautiful thing that you've only been with each other. And of course, there's going to be that curiosity and that's really difficult to deal with. But uh, I don't think anyone is like, 
anyone who's married now is thinking like, oh well thank god I had those like affairs with random yeah. women and men when I was 16 like that's made my life better it's yeah. it's almost like that curiosity would be quenched but you'd but you'd know well it wasn't very good like at least we've many of us have done it to know it wasn't that great yeah and there's a difference isn't there between having your sort of basic human needs of like attention and stuff like that met but then also a f- fulfilling connection like yeah. y- you could you could go out there you could do whatever you want where's the end goal and i think that's that's what maybe potentially separated me from a few of the people that I used to know in the religion is that I can look ahead. Like I can see myself as an 80 year old. I can see myself as a 50 year old. I can see myself going down the path of living this life of, of reliving my teenage years, but in my late twenties and then I'm in my early thirties and I'm just there and I'm miserable. I've got nothing. I've got no kids. I've got no wife. And all I've got to show for it is, Oh, well, at least I, you know, sowed my seeds. At least yeah. I did that. It's, it's empty. It's not going to be fulfilling. It is. It's like um, playing PlayStation for a long time. <laughs> exactly. I got rid of mine. I, I didn't ever even play that often, but I played uh, like FIFA, you know, years ago. And I found that I, afterwards, I thought, you know what? I'm really miserable. Mm. Like I felt happier before I started playing. I did the same with Football Manager. Yes. I was really addicted to Football Manager. Yeah. Um, but then I thought, I'm actually, I don't have time for anything else. I am addicted yeah. to this. And every season's the same on this thing. I start off really optimistic and then the, <laughs> the bloody game just destroys me. Yeah. Like seven games in, I've won one game and I just, I hate <laughs> it. I'm miserable. Melissa's wondering why I'm angry all the time. Yeah, <laughs> even if, But even if you win... I think you just you think, am I happier after that? <laughs> that wasn't worth my time. And I because think, it's always the next game, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that well, that's I think that is a metaphor for sort of teenage uh, sexuality. I that's think a it's good like way of putting it. I needed to do this. It was addictive. It was exciting and fun. But afterwards, I'm not sure I'm actually happier than I was at the start of this. And where's the next one? That's interesting. So let's. Yeah. I, I don't know. But so so you 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 find yourself outside. Luckily, your wife went with you from the Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, it took, took between six months to a year, I think, for Melissa to... Because as, as I said, she started off wondering if this was Satan talking to her. Some people, if, when their wife says, I don't want to talk about it repeatedly, will shut up and will close themselves off. But I knew with Melissa, I was either going to... She was either going to change and me and her would live the rest of our lives with open minds and she would join me on this path or I would have to split at some point, because I, right now I wouldn't be able to live with someone where the biggest part of my life yeah. is my leaving of the religion. That is what I'm dealing with and that is what's consumed my, my life. But if she was in, the biggest part of her life would be actively being involved. It would be a complete clash. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be able to work, I don't think. There are some people I know who woke up about a decade ago and they're living with their believing partners. But how can they do that? Because well, they're shunning. They can't. Oh, there's technicalities. You can still live with your marital mate and stuff like that. And oh. the person I'm referring to, um, he he didn't technically disassociate or was disfellowship. So technically still okay-ish. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to live with that. And before you know it, after about six months to a year of me talking to Melissa, she began to realise Harrison is gaining nothing from this. She, she could see the turmoil the trauma that I was going through in my life, talking to the elders, the the way I couldn't sleep at night, the what was going on with my dad over the emails. And I, when I talked to her, all I did was appeal to evidence. I would speak about, oh, what do you think of this fossil? I don't want to see it. Okay. <laughs> How, you know Noah's Ark, it set off from here. 
Why did it only travel one centimetre on the map we have on the wall? Why couldn't it have gone and landed in Everest or in this place in South America? Obviously, they didn't, they didn't know about these mountains at the time because it's a book written by men. No, 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 no. Over time, six months later, she was at her sister's. She comes back upset. And I say, what's the matter? She's like, I had a massive go at them. I got a picture of the map out on, on my phone and I showed them, you know, Noah's Ark. How could it travel from here to here? So she had turned into a, a zealous minister of truth rather than a minister of Jehovah's Witnesses. How did that feel for you to, to hear that she'd been at her sister's pushing In, that Incredibly song? rewarding. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like if I'd converted someone as a Jehovah's Witness, <laughs> I suppose. But just more so, because I felt so much more passionately. I believed everything I said once I'd woken up and once my only um, category for, for finding truth was evidence. That That's the only thing I went off. I then... I didn't feel a hypocrite at all. And I felt, well, whoever listens to me is just finding a belief system based on evidence. But as a Jehovah's Witness, I knew I could prove some things, but other things I don't know. Like prophecy, you go to that part, that part, that part, that part, and then you get to 1914. So we're living in... The... I never actually talked to anyone about that because I was a bit insecure about that belief myself. I, I didn't fully believe it, but mm. I also didn't rule it out because of the the brainwashing. Yeah. What's but... that? The, the Armageddon stuff? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. They use Daniel, they use Revelation, then back to this other book, and then Satan and Jesus had a fight, and oh. Satan was held down in 1914. That's why we're living in the last days. I talked to a Mormon about this, and he couldn't believe it. Oh. And uh, that was an interesting one for me, because I've heard as Mormon beliefs, and, and I can't believe their beliefs. Yeah, It's one of those, is they're always crazy, not us, you know? <laughs> when you ra raised a Jehovah's Witness, and everyone's like, you're crazy. It's like, well, we're not really. All we do is believe the Bible. And then you leave, and you're like, oh, they don't just believe the Bible, really, do they? They have a very niche interpretation of a few men in America. I, I love that your, I suppose, your pillow talk almost with your wife has gone in a couple of years from uh, like really epic, like you might be Satan talking to, like you can have these conversations <laughs> yeah. and, and now presumably as banal as the rest of us, like have you cleaned the, those socks? Are, they, are <laughs> those socks washed? You know, how does that feel? Is it it's become earthly but must yeah. also be exciting to go through yeah and also you know her, her couple of her sisters as well um they no longer attend meetings online oh. or, or in person so so it's kind of spread and none of that would have happened if i would have just shut my mouth and done what the organization wanted me to do all of them would still be going to meetings all of them would still be brainwashed and i'd still have this you know if i was still alive if, if i hadn't had a, any sort of serious health breakdown i would still feel like a fraud so, so the benefits of, of speaking, of using your basic human rights, you, you have to do it. If yeah. there's any Jehovah's Witness who's thinking, shall I, shall I just do what the organization wants or shall I speak up? Speak up because you might get, you know, it's, it's like you got a, you got a 19 playing blackjack speaking out. You might get that too. And your life might just get, you might get everything you've ever wanted. You know, your partner wakes up, other family members wake up and you get to be your authentic self. So you don't speak uh, to your father at the moment. Um, any hope of reconciliation in the future? Any hope he might? No, 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 no. The That's next sad. time, yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to their funerals. I, it's a topic I've been talking about. Uh, with oh my god! I, so, so picture it, right? You, these people, you're dead to them. And let's say my dad dies at eighty, so I would be, you know, fifty, 50 mid fifties. He hasn't spoken to me for. He wouldn't, by that point, have spoken to me for, you know, 30 years or something. And what, like, why would I go to his funeral to be surrounded by people who view you as the devil? 
he didn't want to know me while I was alive. So why would I? Mm. <laughs> I don't get it. But some people are adamant, you know, that I'll still go to my funeral of my family. It's just for public appearance. It's just to, yes. so they say, oh, I wonder if they're coming. Oh, they did show up. It, that it, maybe there is hope for Harrison after all. There is a point you don't you don't necessarily go to somebody's funeral for them. It's for the other people left behind. And, yeah. and I suppose in your case, well, well, these are all people who have shunned you. Why? why I have you? memories of my dad, and I know that deep down he's he's a wonderful human being. He's a very selfless, caring individual. But you you can't separate the that person from the religious person. They are the same, mm. and that's unfortunate because for me, I was always eccentric, unique, but also. Uh, torn yeah. i always had uh, different sides and i think the one side eventually spoke louder than the other side but for him both sides are intermingled into one and your your mother you mentioned she was an alcoholic yeah uh, well how how is that at the moment uh not good no um yeah. it's it's very strange i always i always think you know what are the odds in life of being born into the arms of, a, of an extreme alcoholic and a cult leader um and it's it is I think when I left, I began to notice there was about 13 major parallels between the God addiction, as I dubbed it, and the religious addiction. And I've realised that it's so easy for us to become addicted to things. You know, we spoke about our video games. Escapism from reality, from the harsh, painful reality of life. Um, that's all the God addiction is. That's all the alcohol addiction is. Um, temporary relief and I did a little experiment when I was jotting down ideas for maybe a future book called The God Addiction, where I um, said a few prayers over multiple nights as an atheist. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew I know God doesn't exist, but I still prayed to see what the psychological effect would be. And I noticed before my prayer, I was stressed. But as soon as I offloaded my prayers to nothing, essentially, I immediately felt calm. I uh, it, bizarre how my mind knows there's no God, yet just from the act of praying, from the act of a problem shared is a problem halved, and I'm talking to something. So I, I, you can now see like the basis of religion, why it forms, why it permeates so many ancient cultures, and even today, and and why it's associated with with good things, yeah. because there are benefits to our mind of of having that best friend in the sky who's got your back you'd like my episode from a few months ago with aj jacobs have you heard of him no so he wrote a, a book where he he's a atheist i think um or at least agnostic and he um decided to live like the old testament for a year so he couldn't like sit in a seat where his wife had sat uh so he'd she wound him up about it so he'd come home and she'd be like i've sat in that chair <laughs> you know just to annoy him so it was done with a bit did he go around stoning homosexuals yes. yeah uh, yes he did <laughs> He did. Uh, he stoned someone. No, he stoned, he stoned an adulterer uh, who he met in the park uh, and found out that he was an adulterer. So he threw some stones at him. So he did all the, he did all these mad things. Like he really went for it. I was joking then, but I he know. actually did. <laughs> I know. And I was pleased to be able to go, no, no, he did do that. Wow. Thing. But I don't think he aimed to hurt the person. I yeah. think that's the difference. Um, but he did it tongue in cheek. Um you know, a bit of a smile, but also he took it very seriously because what's the point in doing anything yeah. if you're not going to do it properly? So he prayed and he really tried. And he also found like this. He found some enjoyment from that and satisfaction. Yeah. And he was almost able to make himself believe from repeatedly over and over praying and praying and praying. Yeah. It didn't quite work, I don't think. But it was no. But, it's, but we're not the only ones who who know this sort of this uh, cognitive ability. I think the religious know it fully. Every time I spoke to the elders about my doubts, the one line they say just just 
pause pause for a second, Harrison. Okay, you've done a lot recently. You've researched a lot. Just pause. Let's work on those basic building blocks of your faith. You know, when was the last time you said a prayer? Or when was the last time you studied your watchtower? Essentially, what they want to do is to re-indoctrinate you. And that's the power. Like, that's what you're saying about the person who was who was praying and had that psychological effect. You, it starts to almost become real again, even though you know it's nonsense. And our minds are incredible things. Yeah, they are. They really are. Yeah. Tell me why you started The Truth Hurts. Tell me a bit about your, yeah, your activism and why it's important for you. So, as I said, you, you have this gun put to your head and you're told you can't talk to anyone. The problem is you have information which is life-saving. You know, as a Jehovah's Witness, you think you have life-saving information, but now you know you genuinely do have life-saving information. And when I was beginning to question things as a Jehovah's Witness, I would dare myself to go onto Google and type in something. I would dare myself to go onto YouTube and search Jehovah's Witnesses and not necessarily watch a video from the organisation. And it was those videos, those website links, which helped me to realise that I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't alone, that the path I was walking on, although I felt alone, had been trodden by thousands of people before me. And I had reassurance in that. And I listened to audio books as well, hence why I'm doing a book, of people who'd left the religion. And, you know, you share this unique common ground and it means so much to have other people relate to you to say, this is mad that we used to believe this. And you're there like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, I'm not crazy. And I suppose if no one had ever ever done that, I would have gone onto YouTube or Google, typed something in, nothing would have been there. And perhaps I'd still be a Jehovah's Witness today because I would have maybe convinced myself that, oh, I am bloody crazy because I'm the only one in the world who thinks like this. And so my activism on YouTube and, and in writing a book and things like that it's not a choice. I, I, I liken it to, you know, if you have a child, you don't think to yourself, oh, should I? One well, most normal human beings who aren't degenerates will think, you know, sh- should I look after the child or should I not? You just know you should look after the child. It's instinctive. And it's the same thing within me. Once I've woken up and I realised that I could offer people something and offer them the most important thing, which is the rest of their life, critical thinking skills, a, a place to to reassure them. Um, it wasn't a choice I had. Um, and so I, I just had to go on YouTube. Initially, I was going to wear a mask. I bought a balaclava, um, some coloured contact oh, lenses, wow. and I was going to use a voice changer on a microphone and stay a Jehovah's Witness and be a guy in a mask on YouTube because that's how much within me I had to get it out. Thinking about that for a few weeks, I then came to realise, well, that's exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses want. They want you to be in fear. You know, they want you to genuinely fear being caught, being a human and and using your own freedom of expression. And I thought also, well, how many ex-Jehovah's, how many people who are doubting inside the religion are going to click on a guy in a balaclava with coloured contact lenses? Like, he's hiding something. People are drawn to authenticity and to kindness. Yeah. So I needed to be my authentic, hopefully kind self on camera. So I, you know, ditched the idea quickly, went looking for window cleaning rounds for, for sale because obviously I knew I was going to get sacked by my dad if I if I left the religion. And it, I, I had no qualifications in nothing, obviously, because I didn't do any further education. All I knew how to do was scrub a window. 
So I then realised I couldn't buy another window cleaner round, so I had to run round my neighbouring villages, knocking on everyone's door. You know, wow. I, hi, I'm Harris. I obviously knew how to knock on doors. Yeah, of course, yeah. So I said, hi, I'm Harrison. I'm a local window cleaner. I was just wondering if you'd like a quote for your windows to be cleaned. Gradually, a few customers here, a few customers there. I had enough to put bread on the table for Melissa and I. Soon as I had a, a, a basic amount of money, met with the elders, handed in the letter of disassociation, and... Yeah, just like one, one part one of your life is gone. Part two, you know, spend your thousands of pounds on equipment, your nice cameras, your yeah. microphones. You know how expensive they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and just get going. Do a video. And the first video was about dinosaurs and carnivores because that was the most important thing to me. And then I did a video on Noah's Ark, which kind of blew up. Yeah. But unfortunately, now we live in the age of shorts where people's attention span is about six seconds. So the, the world on social media is changing a lot. Um, so some of my long format videos, um, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to do as well as they used to. Mm -hmm. um, it takes time though. I think it takes time to get people to adjust to the longer ones. Yeah, but I still put them out. I would say with the shorter, with you know, if you're shorter ones, you're bread and butter where you're getting the views. But still put out those longer there ones. It was the bigger ones that were getting the views initially. Yeah, I see. but then it's harder because over the last couple of years, things have changed a lot, haven't they? They have. Um, they have. But it's still, you know, I have to be, I have to be uh, moldable, I have to malleable to the circumstances, and if that's where the audience is going, I have to take my sure. activism over to the shorts as well, because I just want anyone, anyone in the world who has a question or a doubt, to just see a video, click my channel, and find escapism, comfort, and reassurance on it. Well, I, so it's a beautiful channel. I recommend people go check out The Truth Hurts. It's a really fantastic channel, really high quality. I was really impressed by it, so please do. And everybody, comment below. Let me know if you've had these kinds of experiences with religion or who I should interview next. Do the likes and things. And keep watching the channel. Loads of stuff, similar stuff. There you go. I didn't, I didn't, do, I didn't say goodbye or anything, but I'm sorry. I, I don't. I just do that. It's okay. Thank you, Harrison Cother, for coming on the podcast. What a pleasure it was to talk to him. Uh, as I speak now, it's a, it's a few days after we, we got to meet in person. He came down uh, from a different part of the country to come and speak with me in London because this is so important to him. So help him to do this by following his YouTube channel, The Truth Hurts. You can find him on Twitter and Patreon as well. Follow this podcast's Patreon. You know, I've got these Saturday episodes all coming out and, and all of that stuff. I've got some stuff on uh, Katie Holmes and uh, Sean Atwood talking about Russell Brand because I criticised him the other day. I've had a couple of reviews, I should actually say, now that I think about it, uh, that were one star from angry people because I put the third episode uh, a week behind a paywall. And I don't know, look, I do get it, you know, um, but I wish they would have just spoken to me because if somebody can't afford it, it's, it's basically the Patreon to get the Saturday episodes as well, as well as all the ad-free episodes of the other ones. Talking about about a pound, slightly over a dollar per week. So I just thought they can't, you know, if they can't afford it, I understand that because times are very difficult for a lot of people. And I think people should just get in touch with me uh, and I can see if I can like offer a free, I don't even know how to do that, but I'm sure I can do that. As I tried to explain some weeks ago, this was to do with a contractual thing because I was having all sorts of arguments with a particular group and I can't go into it obviously, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. And the decision was that uh, I would remove one of the episodes from the main feed. Um, 
I don't make more money from this. The paywall, I mean, I, you know, the, the amount that we then lose from ads compared to the amount, uh, yeah, it's complicated to explain. So yeah, it's complicated. But, you, you know, I still put out two free episodes a week. And somebody said as well, oh, and all the best episodes go out on the paywall. And that is so far from the truth it's actually that when it's when it's a really good episode that i think is like wow that was great i make sure that it is accessible for everybody what i tend to put out on saturday are episodes where i feel oh this will be a bit more relevant to like the super fans uh this will be relevant to the ones who maybe aren't so tired of hearing about scientology or want to get into the weeds of it or about uh megan markle or whatever it might be whereas i try to keep the the sort of main podcast on on mondays and thursdays a little bit more diverse uh, and different so that's what i'm attempting to do at the moment always appreciate you guys's you guys's feedback and i of course i'm aware that the one or two reviews is not uh indicative of the vast vast majority of you so thank you all for sticking with this i'm oh, sticking with it. it sounds like it's a horrible podcast to listen to like it's homework but yeah if you do want those saturday ones of course it really helps the show if you can sign up on patreon.com slash andrew gold and yeah stick around tell friends about this podcast it's got to grow we want to we want to grow it and and all those things the more it grows the more i can do things like these episodes in person hey think about that one day if the podcast gets to a certain level i'll be able to do those kinds of studio episodes in the studio for all of them i'll be able to fly people over from the states or uh what you know maybe not australia but places that are quite far um but let me know what you think about all of this and see you next time it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>